break the stigma. This is your host, Natalie Bolin. I'm with the Alcohol, Drug Addiction, Mental Health Services Board of Tuscarawas and Carroll County, the Adams Board. So take me to the Indians. Okay, so 2015, I go to spring training with the Phillies. Um, it doesn't go. They have me change my mechanics. I'm doing different things because at that point, I'm pretty sure they're, they've exhausted pretty much what they thought they could do to help me. <laughs> um, so they had me change my mechanics up to something they thought would be easier for me to repeat and not think about. Um, but turns out they ended up releasing me towards the end, uh, of 2015 in March. Um, I go home, my first dinner home, I get a call from a two one six number and I'm with Krista and her family mm-hmm. and, uh, I'm laughing. I'm like, what if this is the Indians and pick up the phone and it was definitely the Indians and they kind of played with me a little bit. They're like, Hey, we want to see if you're still interested in playing baseball. I'm like, duh. <laughs> and they're like, okay, um, well, we just want to kind of ask you a couple questions and see where your mind's at. And then I uh, will get back to you. Nine or 10 days go by with oh nothing. And I'm just like, are you serious? And then on that 10th day, uh, they called me and said, Hey, we got your flight details. What email can we send them to? And I'm like, what the heck? So I go with them and they like, I love the Phillies. They have the Philly way. Um, but it's just different. When I went with the Indians, it was like, I just felt like I could be me mm-hmm. and I didn't have to, you know, walk on the eggshells or mm-hmm. do things a certain way. You know, there wasn't one way to, to do things. I could do whatever. If, as long as I got to the end goal, they were okay with it. Um, but they really took it easy with me. They, there was no rush. I didn't pl- throw off a mound right away. They, it's almost like they knew they might've contacted or had some type of, they were looking at me through my career. They had scouts watching me. And they had a scout tell me that they were interested, uh, but just uh, stay tuned. And that was in 2013. And I'm like, uh, are they going to pick me up at all? But uh, that's getting too much in the base. Baseball's like roster movement and everything is so out of this world. I don't even want to get into that. But <laughs> uh, once I got over there and the way they just took it slow with me mm-hmm. and they knew what I was capable of and they knew they they had a you know, I guess a steal. <laughs> um, they just wanted to strategize and figure out the best way to get the best out of me. And it really clicked the way they handled it. Mm-hmm. And um, next thing you know, they send me to, to Lynchburg, Virginia, which is not a place I wanted to go just by the name of it. <laughs> and um, it, it was just a breath of fresh air. I was just, you know, there was no expectation. It was just, Hey, we just signed you for paying you basically nothing, basically what you were already making. Um, we really have nothing invested in you, but we still want to help you. And, um, it just, I started pitching. Okay. There was no, I still wasn't where I was in the next year with the Indians, but there was some, there were maybe a little bit of moments where I was like, had the doubt, the doubt cre- uh, crept in and I was like, Oh crap. Like wh- where's this next throw going to go? But for the most part I was just cruising. And then the spring training of 2016 happened. And, uh, that one was a, it, that's when the nightmare I think began. I was able to, 
stay afloat and they sent me to Akron. But before all that, I thought I was getting released. I was like, this is my last year. I'm going home. I'm throwing terrible in spring training. I lost it. I, I'm, I'm quick to just say I lost it in baseball. <laughs> With football, if I threw an interception, I'm like, all right, I, I figured this out. I'm going to be back. We're going to get this. You know, baseball, on the, other, on the other hand, if one thing would happen, I'm like, oh, crap. No, What's going to happen next now? And, um, but once, you know, I went to Akron, I, was, I told myself, this might be my last year. My family's going to be able to come and watch me now. We're 45 minutes from my house. Let's just, let's just play baseball. And a couple months later, <laughs> I was pitching out of my mind. I felt like the best pitcher in the world. My confidence was through the roof. Mm -hmm. Nobody could hit me in my mind. I was throwing 99 miles per hour. <laughs> and I just was like, this is nuts. Uh, there was a moment where a little bit of doubt crept in during playing catch, but I quickly got over that and continued my hot streak, went to Columbus. Everything was smooth in Columbus. Um, one thing I did have an issue with in Columbus is they, when they built that field, they forgot to put in a bullpen. So they kind of last minute, minute stuck a bullpen right on, right, like literally if this is the first baseline, the bullpen's right here. So, uh, yeah, fun times. That that <laughs> didn't really mesh with my mindset well at the time, uh, just because I felt, you know, that was one of my worst fears is throwing the ball onto the field while people are playing mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm warming up. Yeah. So I always had to battle with that, but I was still pitching great in Columbus. I got the Columbus July 4th, I think, and pitched well in that game. Then we traded away Ben Heller to the Yankees, mm -hmm. and that's how, and a, lot, a couple other players to the Yankees. That's how we got Andrew Miller. And then I became the closer for Columbus and the manager at Columbus, Chris Trimmy. It was no longer to really development in AAA. Chris Trimmy was trying to win games and I was pitching well. So he was putting me in any chance he got. And I just was pitching great. And my confidence kept building, kept building. And um, then one day I didn't think I was going to be pitching. I didn't even have my jersey on. I had my pants on. You know, no cup. You know, baseball, we wear a cup to protect the, the family. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what a cup does. Okay. <laughs> but um, that, I think that day kind of impacted me because I was not mindset to pitch that day. Mm -hmm. I felt, I kind of went back into my early minor league days where, you know, they kind of baby you, where, okay, you've thrown two days in a row. You're not going to throw again. Um, but we had some guys injured in Columbus. You know, obviously, like I said, Chris Trimmer was trying to ride the, the hot hand. And, you know, they came back to me and said, hey, Garner. And I laughed like, <laughs> he's like, no, seriously, get ready. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I run to the, the locker room. I had to get my, my, uh, my jersey on. I'd even have my belt. I had to get my belt. And just I just was not prepared at all run out there trying to get help because the pitcher's not doing well. I have to run out there and get ready and just doing, doing I'm trying to throw and be ready fast. And, and, you know, I threw a couple balls into the play, which kind of helped the team out. <laughs> um, but I go in that game and just bomb it. Like ultimately almost, I couldn't do any worse than what I did that game, which was not what the Columbus people were used to seeing. So they were like, what is happening? And, uh, Next thing you know, the, the doubt is there full bore. Huh. And I want to say that was like 
a week or so, maybe two weeks before I got called up. So everything was rolling perfectly. And then when the time comes for me to go, you know, fulfill the beginning of my dream, the wheels start to come off. You say that like that was a defining or changing moment. And that that's what I kind of want to say earlier when you were talking about basically how we the perspective and how we look at things. Mm-hmm. One pitcher might airmail a ball, throw it over a guy's head and not think none of it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, what the heck was that? Oh, you know, whatever. Just like I said with football, I throw an interception, whatever. But for me, depending on how it played out, if there was a family that maybe had to avoid the ball, almost hit a child or something, then that's just like, boom, and it's here, it's stuck. Mm-hmm. And now I'm only thinking about that. So then I'm like, okay, that was a, a life-changing experience, which should have been something that I just shrugged off and grabbed the ball again and threw it. But that, that's where, you know, I think stuff like that really made an impact on me mm-hmm. when most pitchers and most times with me, it wouldn't but it did. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. I and, mean, if, yeah. if we've talked a lot about how your mindset affects your throwing ability, and that was a moment when you were absolutely thrown into something you weren't ready to be thrown into, and then you felt like you weren't successful, that set the stage, and then you, you moved to, like you said, what your dream was. Yeah. And huh. I did have one one or two more outings where I was kind of laboring through um, actually one outing. This was in Indianapolis. We were playing the pirates triple a where I came in. Um, and this, I think this, this was probably before that, that bad outing. Um, I come in to this, it was bases loaded, no outs. And the worst thing in baseball to have as a pitcher relief pitcher is let other people's runs come in. So that was all on my mind. I'm like, I have to get out of this. Can't let these runners score. I come in, I'm throwing bullets. I'm throwing hard and I get out of the inning, three outs, no run scored. And at that time I was just coming in for one inning, boom, boom, boom. And the game was over. But that one, I came in in the eighth. So I had to go back out for the ninth and I haven't really been sitting in between innings. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. so I come back out. And granted, I think I was 96, 98, the, the previous uh, inning. And uh, I come out for this next inning. So all the adrenaline's gone. There's no pressure situation. It's just, you know, get these three hitters out um, and we're good. After being jacked up for that last inning coming mm-hmm. in, I was throwing, I think, I, I wasn't paying attention, even though I will admit I did like to look at the scoreboard to see how fast I was throwing sometimes. <laughs> that inning, the first couple pitches that inning, um, I'm guessing weren't hard. So it was very apparent to everybody like, hey, wait, wait, something wrong. He was just throwing 96, 98. What, what's happening now? He's throwing 90, 91. So the pitching coach and uh, manager, Chris Trimmy come out and they're like, you all right? I'm like, yeah, I think so. And they're like, well, uh, your, your velocity dropped a lot. Like you sure you're okay. And since they brought to that my, my attention, I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. They went back, back to 96, 98 and got out of the game. We win it. But in my back of my head, I was like, what, why did that happen? Mm. And, you know, and once it gets in, in the, in the mind, mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of obsess on, on those thoughts. I wasn't following the Philippians four eight. <laughs> <laughs> so you said a few more games in Columbus than you went to the Indians. Yes. 
Um, I labored through those games in Columbus. And then when I got called up, because there was a lot of times I didn't think I was getting called up. Mm -hmm. I couldn't sleep at all. So I'm just this restless person, no sleep, and constantly thinking, okay, I can't go back to what I was. I have to be able to throw the ball hard, and I have to throw strikes. And uh, one thing, I, one trick I used to do was try to throw the ball like over the fence um, from the foul line. So I would try to just launch it as far as I could. And that would remind me, throw the ball hard, you know. So that was one little trick I was trying to do that, to help me get over my, my, my thoughts that I was having. And I was doing that right before I got called up. We were in uh, Durham, um, in Durham, North Carolina, just mm-hmm. like we were talking about. And uh, that's where I got called up from. And I temporarily forgot about it. Like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to Cleveland. And then, of course, when I get to Cleveland, my throwing partner is Andrew Miller. And instantly, one thing I used to think when I was throwing and playing catch with my partners is like, I don't want to hurt them, you know. And this was when this was minor league, my friends. Now I'm playing catch with Andrew Miller. And if I throw the ball and hurt Andrew Miller, everyone in Cleveland is going to hate me. (laughs) So... (laughs) That was on my mind. And Andrew Miller's not thinking about it. He's like, hey, you know, throw the ball hard. Come on, man. Like, he's yeah. trying to help me or whatever. And, uh, you know, I threw one over his head. And I kind of didn't think anything of it. Then I, a couple of throws later, I threw another one over his head. And then that's when it was, it was pretty much there, full bore at that moment. Like, there was only players, though. No fans are in the game or at, in the stands. It's just me and the players all down the foul line playing catch together, just like we're little leaguers. It's just everyone's 20, 30 years old. And I let a couple throws over Andrew Miller's head, just alarms going off. It was no longer, oh, I'm not throwing the ball exactly where I want. It was, I don't know where this ball's going. Somehow, I was able to... And this would happen on occasion. I was able to get through those thoughts and labor through games is what I would call it. And I don't mean to say this to brag on myself, but I pitched okay in the big leagues laboring through. And my our minor league pitching coordinator, he texts me after a couple of my outings. He's like, what the hell are you doing? Throw the ball. And in my head is, I know, I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> but he didn't know what I was going through at the time because at that point, it wasn't really on his radar. He had seen me pitch for six months of flawless baseball, basically. And when I got to the Indians, he's just like, all right, this is what you wanted to do forever. Like, what are you doing? Let it go. Throw hard and all that. And even Trevor Bauer is making comments like, man, I thought you threw hard. Like, what happened? <laughs> and, you know, Trevor Bauer is one of those guys that, you know, he was like, had a smirk. He was being funny. But at yeah. the same time, he was probably excited to see me throw hard. So he wanted to see that. And... uh and Trevor Bauer was my locker mate, by the way, too. So uh, a lot of that started to, it got, it got ugly. Somehow I was able to labor through the games. Um, if there, there's another tweet, uh, Tito quote that's not in the papers. Um, the bullpen bully game is the game that Carlos Carrasco took the line drive off of the arm. And we had to basically have the whole bullpen kind of f- fill those nine innings of that game. So I came in that game in a critical stretch. We're still fighting to be in the playoffs. We're playing the Tigers. There are a couple games behind us. And I come in that game and I just know, I'm like, this is not, I am not in the right place mentally. And I am going to have to basically just compete as hard as I can and figure out a way to get through this game because we need to win. This isn't like, hey, get your feet wet, Percy. 
these are games that we have to win to make sure we get to the playoffs. And I think that helped in the end, but it obviously it wasn't the picture that the pitcher that I wanted Cleveland, Tito, Lindor, all those guys, those teammates to see me as. Mm -hmm. So a a lot of that really kind of affected me deeply. Um, But somehow you could tell something wasn't right, but I was still able to get through games and pitch decent in most of those games. Um, But it was something that I was fighting through and everybody was aware of it. Players, staff, everybody was aware that, okay, Percy's going through something right now. Um, so after the, or after we clinched in Detroit, you know, Tito was like, look, I know you had your eyes set on, uh, oh, I never told you the quote, what he said, <laughs> sorry, um, against Detroit, the bullpen bully game. So I get through one of the ugliest innings possible with no run scoring. I faced Miguel, uh, Cabrera, Victor Martinez, um, all in that inning. And somehow I get out of it. I, I was throwing the ball like 40 feet against Miguel Cabrera. I think I showed you that clip with Josh but the ball's like barely making it to the plate. It's like bouncing and stuff. And then they make me intentionally walk, um, Miguel Cabrera and intentionally walking. Someone is one of the scariest things a pitcher can do. Cause you're just every, uh, uh, and then intentionally walk. You like, are just supposed to get it there and throw it away out there. So in my head, I'm like, Oh crap. I have to complete this throw. This is going to be bad. And I can actually, after this podcast, show you what they look like because the Indians sent me all my game film from every pitch. And you might, now that I told you the, the, I guess the, how I was thinking, you'll be, you'll be able to go, wow. But I was just like, ah, I can't throw this ball crazy. I have to get this there. So I'm like lollipop. It looks like I'm playing (laughs) catch with my son. I'm like, "Ah." and we get it there and I walk him. I'm like, thank God. And then I face Victor Martinez and somehow just God was like, all right, we're going to let you strike this guy out. (laughs) So I strike him out and I go sit on the bench and me, I am just so frustrated, so angry at the display I'm putting on. Um, Tito comes to me. He goes, look, did you see what you just did out there? And I'm just looking, I'm not saying anything. I'm just looking at him in his eyes, showing respect and letting him know that I'm pissed off. (laughs) And, uh, he goes, you barely threw any strikes and no runs across the plate. You got out of that inning. He's like, you have the potential to be a good pitcher. You just have to believe it. And he's poking me in my chest Mm -hmm. and you know, by that point he knew he was like, he's not going to be on playoff roster. He's, they were just like, okay. And he said, Hey, I'm sending you home. This was after the season. I'm sending you home. Don't pick up a ball till mid December. <laughs> just get away from baseball. Even though they did invite me back for a couple of playoff games. And I did make an uh, appearance here and there uh, on behalf of the Indians, but they were just like, you know, just get away from baseball and come refreshed for spring training next year. So, that was that was that of 2016. Were you having any fun at the time? I sort of. I would say the most fun I had in 2016 was in Akron and Columbus. Um, I even had a bet going with my my cousin because we don't make much money in the minor leagues. He would give me a thousand dollars if I hit a hundred. I was in Columbus AAA games facing former big league players and you know top prospects, and I was just thinking, oh, I got to hit a hundred to get this thousand dollars, and I was just. It was just, I don't, I want to say it was easy. It was just like, nobody was hitting me. I was like, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. And then I go to, oh crap, 
I'm going to Cleveland, fighting for a playoff spot. Mm-hmm. Like, I have to do well, expectation drop. <laughs> you know, your, um, your demeanor as you're talking through this podcast is really different than it was last time. I mean, this is, yeah, this is, it was years, a couple years back, but it's still pretty raw for you, isn't it? Yes. And the fact that I spoke with CC this morning, Ah, yes, yes. We dug deep into, you know, stuff that we probably won't share on our podcast. Um, and it just, I was like, oh yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Because if you remember last episode, I think I even said, I don't think I had the yips fully. But after talking with Cece, I was like, yeah, who am I trying to kid? <laughs> like, it was full bore, like scary. Mm-hmm. Like, it was points where I was afraid to throw the ball. Where I'm like, I can't, I'm a professional player. I can't be seen looking like this, you know. Mm-hmm. And definitely that is just something scary. And it's funny, I've lost both my parents. I've ha- I've gone through a lot of adversity in my life. And here I am afraid to throw a baseball or around other people. And and I would think of that myself too at the time like what am I doing? Why am I so afraid of this? Like how is this causing so much trauma after all this stuff I've been through? Like it it was just it was just that was another form of frustration. You were feeling bad about feeling bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. And then I was pity myself too. Like, oh my gosh, you know, man, I just, you know, can't even throw the way I want to throw. <laughs> and then when I think about it, like, oh, what? like, how did I let that happen? Because that's not really who you are. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's that, from the brief time that I've known you, I, I, that is so far from who you are right now. Yeah. And it's, uh, that is something Cece brought up. She said, with you being removed from baseball, mm-hmm. seeing life without baseball, mm-hmm. I'd be curious to see you throw a baseball now. And I'm like, well, it is different, but I am throwing with, with little kids. So I still, I'm not like letting it go, but I'm not afraid of throwing the ball crazy really now. Yeah. So, um, that is, that is some of the, I think some of the, you know, throwing on a setting, being a professional. I know these kids still look at me as professional and I would not want to throw the ball crazy in front of these kids, but it's just different. I, I know what life's like without baseball and uh, I'm not really like, okay, what's going to happen if I make a bad throw? When I make a bad throw, oh, dang it, here, give me the ball back. Let me, let me yep. do it again. And so. What else do you want to say about your time with the Indians or what else I, that experience I want to like? point out how great they handled the situation. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of ball clubs would handle it the way they did, even though, and they'd probably admit it, they were not like fully prepared to handle something like this. Mm -hmm. They were kind of probably just as panicked as I was when it was going on. But I do want to point out a couple players that really took it upon themselves to take time out of their routine to... I guess, try to help me in any way they thought they could. And that was, you know, Cody uh, Allen, uh, Andrew Miller, especially Brian Shaw. So Brian Shaw went out his way to be my catch partner. Even after the 2016 season, 2017, he was my catch partner all through spring training. We tried throwing a football together because that was part of his routine. And no matter what, if I'm Brian Shaw, you know, I'm making millions. I'm a professional baseball player. 
I wouldn't want to continue to play catch with some guy that doesn't know how to figure it out, who is a professional and is can't throw the ball to me. And I continue to have to go chase the ball, chase the ball. Um, but he said, no big deal, man. Let's let's get through this. Let's go. I know what you know. I know you're a talented guy, man. We're going to get through this and you're going to be, you know, a great pitcher. So that that meant a lot. Um, obviously, CC, her and Brian Miles. They were they were trying everything possible in their power to help me. And they had to deal with and like helping me and then also um, kind of only sharing things that they were, you know, because the what do you call it? The client privilege mm-hmm. thing. Sure. <laughs> I always want to say attorney client, but obviously you're not. <laughs> attorney. <laughs> but uh, they they tried pretty much everything that they knew how um, to just help me. Yeah. And, uh, the Indians organization, man, they, there were some other, there were some points where I, I wasn't too happy with them, but obviously no organization is perfect, but they really, I think handled that. You know, I, I, I guess I just appreciate how they handled it because they could have did a lot of things. And, um, they tried to, it appeared to me, they tried to attack it head on. I know behind the scenes, they were probably like, what the heck are we going to do? We got to get him back to, you know, yeah. and there was a moment where they, everyone thought I was back 2017. They sent me to Akron because of the great pitching coach there, Tony Arnold. Mm-hmm. They thought me and him had a good relationship and we could work this out. And he is like an expert at this as just being a good coach for players and trying to get them through tough situations. And we got to a point where it looked like I was the old Percy and I want to say it was around summer, June, July, and uh, Tony Arnold didn't really speak up, but he didn't deep down. He didn't think I was ready. Uh, it's almost like um, you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go run for a day or two. I'm in shape. And I stole that analogy from CC, but <laughs> that's what um, that's basically what it's like. Obviously, no one. A couple outings was not OK. Percy's cured. Let's send him back up. Let's start him on his train to get back to Cleveland. Now, uh, I did well a couple outings in, in Akron. I came in, closed the game, closed it out. Um, I was throwing. I felt comfortable throwing. I wasn't thinking. It was great. I was like, oh, thank the Lord. And I was so ready to get back. The Indians were so ready for me to get back that they were just like, look, you did well at Akron. Let's get you to Columbus. And the the field thing with me being on the field, I don't think I was ready for that. So, um, right when I got the Columbus first outing, no bueno. And then after that, I stayed in Columbus and the Indians were just trying to figure out, (laughs) like I said, they exhausted everything I think possible. And they even sent me to, um, um, I don't know what to call her, a holistic therapist or something. And we tried different things, but again, same story. I didn't fully buy in because it was not traditional exercises we were doing and I'm like what is happening right now um and I appreciated her we had a good relationship she was she was she tried everything and um I just I'm very appreciative of the people that were involved in the process um and I do I don't regret anything but I do regret not when I had a chance to sign with either the Baltimore Orioles or the Pirates Mm -hmm. I think I, I do regret not signing with the Pirates because the Orioles, I don't know if we're, were on board with the mental aspect of baseball. 
And at that time, I thought, well, maybe if they don't even acknowledge it and I just kind of forget about it, maybe it'll work that way. Mm-hmm. And that was not the case. So uh, would you say that you went through anxiety? Is that fair? Yeah. Would you say that it was a pretty significant level of anxiety? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I want to put words in your mouth. Yeah. Um, you know, I hear you and, and I'm, I'm pretty straightforward, but I'll, I say things, uh, you put a bow gently. On I, I, we'll see. <laughs> I think so. Do you think it's fair? You know, we're talking about mental coaches. How close is that to therapy? I would say it is. I would say it is yeah. too. Yeah. Um, talk to me about why you think the term mental coach is used instead of counseling or therapy. Because therapy has such a negative connotation. Oh, Percy, this is why we're here. <laughs> and, you know, man, we don't want to do therapy. You know, it kind of takes a hit on our ego, I guess. Mm. Um, now, I will say, I would say men are probably more equipped to go to marriage counseling or therapy to deal with maybe family and maybe their kids or something like that other than just hey i have a problem and i need to talk to a therapist that is not mental coach okay mental coach See, you know? and I, I i think i don't care what we call it we can call it mental coach we can call it therapy we can call it counseling but what it comes down to is um Everyone has something that they can benefit from talking to a mental coach, therapist, counselor about. And, and maybe it's the anxiety related to success or, or achievement or, or a, a work. Maybe it's a relationship issue. Um, but I just, that's one of the reasons why I feel like having you on this podcast and making sure that people understood your story was so important for me because whatever we want to call this support that you received, you received some tremendous support listening to the way that you're describing it. And if we can let people know that, um, this is just part of a human condition. I mean, people struggle, call it mental coach, call it therapy, just get there, just get there. (laughs) Um, you know, one of the first times that you and I talked, you were, you brought up Kevin Love's name. Yes. Talk to me about that. Talk to me about why you brought his name up. So I don't want to put words in Kevin's mouth or anything about that, but from what I went through and then what I watched with him and playing with the Cavs is he was one player with the Timberwolves. And then when he joined the Cavs, he just didn't seem like the same type of player. And then it seemed to progressively get worse. And then he was getting hurt. And injuries have a lot to do with athletes and their confidence level. And then I believe he even came out and was talking about mental health. And I think he still does. And once I heard him say or tweet or whatever he did when I heard um, about mental health from Kevin Love, it kind of clicked and go, okay, I think that is what I was seeing. Now, it wasn't to on the level. Well, I can't really say that either. I was about to say it wasn't on the level of my anxiety, but we can't compare. He might've been able to, you know, pull off certain things during his anxiety that I wasn't, 
but it doesn't mean that his mine was worse than his because right. um, I don't even know exactly specific specific uh, to his what his issues were. I just know that he is a is a proponent of mental health and he thinks that it should be, you know, I guess valued over, you know, higher than what it is now and uh, by everybody. And uh, I did reach out to him, try to get him on our podcast, but it, I don't even know if it reached him, to be honest. Um, hopefully one day I would be able to speak to him or someone. Um, and, and there's probably podcasts and content out there right now where he's shared his story and I might have to find that, but I know it's very important to him now and I can kind of piece together certain things, um, and see, you know, what he was going through somewhat on a, on a very, I guess, granular level instead of digging into the details. But I, now that you you know brought this back up, I definitely think it's something I want to do. I want to get in and look at, you know, and hear his story uh, if he goes into details about it somewhere. So for you, it was a big deal because it was relatable. I yeah. mean, it was somebody who also had an incredible career, incredible success, who also struggled with mental health anxiety. Um, and it was something, somebody that could relate to it, that, yes. that you could relate to that talked about it. Yeah. And another big one, huge Cause this one I can relate to massively cause I feel like it's on my level of anxiety visually. Like you could see that he was struggling and he was a first overall draft pick in the NBA named Marco Fultz. I don't know if you know anything about him, but I had never seen it in basketball. It's been very popular in baseball and golf, but he literally looked like he had the, the basketball yips where he could not shoot the ball. Um, and actually another player is like that too, but they're, they've both, made progress um and they're like obviously first round first overall pick both of them were first overall picks i believe in the draft a different years and uh um one was ben simmons and he struggled to shoot he literally wouldn't take a shot other than a layup and but now he's shooting threes and stuff like that and then marco fultz you know at first it was announced as an injury that's what organizations want to call it. They, they can't label it. Hey, we're working on his mental, <laughs> his mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't mean, even think could. that's acceptable by the league. You can't have a guy out of the game because of that. Um, but it might've changed now, but I just know he was going through some real stuff and it was in the media. It was a lot of people were talking about it. Some people don't accept it as something. And some people really could, you know, put themselves in his shoes and felt sorry for him. But now it looks like he's made, pretty much a full recovery he's playing for the Orlando magic he's shooting he's being the great player that people knew he could be and it looks like a success story which obviously i love to hear and then there's another one daniel bard who is playing for the rockies now and his form of yips was i guess very radical where it was the ball could go anywhere i guess (laughs) and he was a hard thrower and now he's with the rockies and he's back and he's he's he was out of the, the major leagues for seven years, trying to develop and get back and get rid of this uh, the the mental health issues with the yips and stuff like that. And it looks like he's made a successful return. And I made a tweet like, "Wow!" Once I saw him and heard his story, I was like, "Dang, should I try to come back?" But uh, I don't think the wife would. <laughs> well, and. That's so interesting to me that you say that. I only have a few more questions and then I'll leave you alone. But um, you talk about success in terms of returning to professional sports. Yeah. What if 
your success is just as important, but a different path. Such as what you're doing here today may not be you on a mound pitching in front of millions of people and being televised, but the fact that you are a star in the county and you are being so impactful to the adults, to the women, to the kid, to all of these people that look up to you by talking about your struggle with anxiety, you're not pitching 99 miles an hour today on a field. But I I mean, Percy, I, I don't know that you can minimize the impact of what you're doing today. So maybe it's not a pitch, but it's still incredibly successful. Yeah. And, and that's why I feel even the first day when you were like surprised, but that's why mm-hmm. I love to do this type of stuff. And that's why I'm doing my podcast. And that's why I volunteered to do this one because I knew it, it was very important to share and not just for athletes, just for anybody, like you said earlier. And I think it's something that like, I hope that we, are getting better at uh, mm-hmm. just like the social injustices. I hope we're just, we'll just continue to get better. Mm-hmm. And uh, mental health, I think is now being taken seriously by more people. Um, and uh, eventually I think we'll be at a spot where it's, it's acceptable and people understand and people are able to, I guess, empathize with it and see how hard it really is. Mm-hmm. And maybe some people with me sharing, Kevin Love sharing, you know, and and other people with influence sharing are able to go, huh, you know, maybe if I had Kevin Love in 2011 saying, hey, you know, I struggle with anxiety when I'm playing, it's, it kind of messes with me. Maybe I would have known, like at that time, like maybe this is something I should look into. I think maybe I'm struggling with this, but at the time I'm like, no. That that's not mm-hmm. that's not a thing. So uh, I think it's very important to share this information. Share honestly. Share uh, basically almost everything that I can. Um, I think it's just very important, and I think it will come. Some good things will come out of it. And um, I think so too. Yeah, and I just hope, like uh, when I spoke at Strasburg, we were it was on FCA. I told the kids like, hey. Uh, hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, if, if anything, like I'll answer. And there was actually been some people who had reached out. So if there's anyone that wants to reach out through social media or whatever, do so. I'm open. Obviously I'm sharing this. (laughs) So, uh, if I can lend a hand and help at all, I'd love it. So last question for you before we wrap up, Mm -hmm. if you can give any message to any kid who has some anxiety that they're struggling with, feelings of depression that they're struggling with, isolation, withdrawn, sad, whatever it is. If you can give a message to our kids that might be watching this podcast, what would you want them to hear? I would tell them um, that it is okay to, nothing is like, it's okay to have those thoughts. That's, we're human. Do not look at it as like a bad, like you're a weirdo or something like that to have those thoughts. And if you are having those thoughts, do not mask mask them. Do not hide them. Do not be ashamed of them. But it's very important to share those thoughts with someone that you trust. Um, 
And if it even it doesn't matter their age, if your friend is someone you trust, if you don't think you can share that with your parents, hopefully you can. But uh, if you don't think you can share it with your parents, share it with anybody. Share, make sure you know that it is important that you are important because, you know, obviously going through depression and stuff like that, it's not fun and it can have a huge impact on your adult life or, you know, your immediate life. If you get to the stage where, you know, you want to hurt yourself, it's not worth it. So it's very important to realize that everybody's important. Just like they say, everybody's vote's important. You are important as a person. You can bring value to the, to the, to this County or to this world, um, doing tons of things. So if you're not the person you want to be, you can get there. Um, but I think it's important to share and not be ashamed of what thoughts you're having. So, and everyone's success is, I is defined differently. And sometimes we have to regroup what our idea yes. of, of, of uh, our personal success is. Yes. Yeah. I would love to have a 10 year MLB career. I would have loved that for you, but I have to yeah. tell you, I'm not hating the fact that you're sitting here doing the podcast with me. <laughs> well, I did enjoy this. And, uh, like I said, uh, hopefully someone, mm-hmm. not, if, even if it doesn't happen the next week, uh, this video is going to be up on YouTube forever. So yeah. <laughs> who knows who well, is going to help at some point. And thank you again so much for your willingness to talk about this for, um, you know, that your willingness to, to talk about your, your story. And I, don't be surprised if I ask you to come back at some point. <laughs> it's all good. Hopefully all right. I don't live too far away and I'll probably be in the studio right after you. Or all something. right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Percy. <laughs> Thank you, Natalie. With every star, we are born again. Oh, in your heart. Spend less time in your head. Thanks for joining us. Tune in for the next episode.